Jesus, we need you this morning. We don't want just words from this message. We want the living word. You, Jesus. Thank you that you will speak to us today. Help me, Jesus, too, to speak the words that are on your heart and to listen to you. In your name, amen. What do we do when God's word doesn't seem true? When we're going through a hard time, when we're in a difficult circumstance, we have all these ideas of things that we're supposed to believe because we're a Christian, but they don't match up with what our experience tells us. Jesus, you said you came to set us free, but I'm just filled with anxiety and I'm following you, but I can't overcome it. God, the Bible says you you want us to have abundant life, but I'm really unhappy and I feel feel dead inside. Jesus, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me, but I have never felt more alone than I do right now. What do we do when it feels like what God says, what we know is supposed to be true, doesn't line up with our experience? Well, we're in the middle of our I Am series, and we're going to look at another passage today from the book of John. And this passage is right in the middle of the book. And uh, the rest of the book after this passage leads into the Passion Week of Jesus, the, the Holy Week, where Jesus is going to suffer and die. And so this is the last main event that is happening, and it's a climactic moment in the beginning, the first half of the book of John that reveals who Jesus is. And then the book is going to move into, okay, this is what Jesus came to do and focus in on one week of his life. So let me set the stage a little bit. Right before this event that we're going to look at, Jesus had been in Jerusalem. He'd had some conflict yet another time with the Pharisees. They actually had picked up stones to try to stone him. They, they made an attempt to arrest him. He was able to flee. And he went across uh, to the east side of the Jordan River to escape you know, what they were trying to do. It was actually the place where John the Baptist had been ministering earlier. And so he's there, he's ministering to people, people are getting healed, they're believing in him, the disciples are with him, and now we're going to pick up the stage um, in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it and turn to John chapter 11, it's also going to be up here as we read it. This is John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So the setting here is that Bethany is close to Jerusalem, a lot closer than where Jesus is across the Jordan River. And that's important because there's an imminent, you know, threat in Jerusalem. So we're going to keep that in mind as we move on, but there's potential danger for Jesus to go to visit Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
So here's the, here's the beginning of the story. We see the conflict, right? There's the setting, the conflict, right? Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha's message uh, seems to have an implied meaning of, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You know, will you come or will you do something? So they're kind of offering Jesus this information and they're submitting to him. Hey, Jesus, we're just letting you know, we know that you're going to do the best thing for us in this situation. And that's the thing we all should do, right? Is when we're in trouble, Mary and Martha, they're going to Jesus. That's their first thing is, okay, Lazarus is sick. We need help. We're going to Jesus. So Jesus, it's, it seems, the text seems to imply that he is sending this word that he says, once he hears this message, back to Mary and Martha. He's basically saying, hey, guys, Lazarus is going to be okay. He's not going to die. And there's purpose in the fact that he's sick. Uh, God is going to be glorified, and the Son of God is also going to be glorified. Isn't this what we all long to hear when we're in a time of trouble? It's going to be okay. And there's a purpose in what's happening in your life. And that purpose mainly is God's glory. We all want to hear that. And Jesus is sending that message back to Mary and Martha. Let's pick up in verse 4. Five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Meaning the daytime. Jesus knows there's 24 hours. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world, meaning like, you know, the sun. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he was meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, you can feel the tension here for Jesus. Okay, there's two, there's two kind of opposing things pulling him. Mary and Martha obviously want Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. I mean, I guess he could even just speak the word. He's done that before where he's a long distance away. He just speaks a word and someone's healed, but they're longing for him to do something. He just sends word back. He doesn't pray a prayer of healing. He doesn't go. The disciples, on the other hand, don't want to go because in their mind, it's dangerous. Jesus was almost stoned. He, he was close to being arrested. And they're saying, don't go. So it's kind of curious that Jesus stays for two more days. And in fact, it is a lose-lose. Uh, Martha and Mary lose because now we know Lazarus died during that time. And the disciples lose because then they end up going anyways. So the curious thing is that Jesus does this because he is on God's timetable. So when Jesus looks at the circumstances, he doesn't see them the way that Mary and Martha see them. And he doesn't see them the way that disciples see them. And so Jesus sees that this is actually a win-win, win-lose. Meaning, it's a win for God, it's a win for me, it's a win for others, and it's a lose for the devil. That's God's perspective, and Jesus sees what God's plan is. 
And what we don't see, the kind of undercurrent of the text, the subtext here, is that Jesus is getting these things from the Lord. Right? When he gives this message to Mary and Martha, it's a word from the Lord. Jesus is speaking that with authority, which means he's getting it revealed to him by the Holy Spirit from God the Father. And that's the reason that he stays two days. He's listening and dialoguing with God, and he's saying, Jesus, not yet. I want you to stay. It doesn't make sense to Mary and Martha. It doesn't make sense to the disciples. But you're listening to my voice, and you're following me. Now, Jesus uses a little illustration to kind of bring the point home for the disciples, although it doesn't seem to be very effective. Um, But Jesus says, hey, you know, no one's afraid to walk around when they can see because there's light. They're afraid to walk around when you can't see and you're afraid of tripping over something. Uh, My wife and I have a one-year-old son, and he has many toys in our living room. And uh, during the daytime, we let him go nuts, right? He plays. It's great. Anytime he's sitting there by himself and he's doing his own thing, it's awesome because we have like a few minutes to, you know, do our own stuff or take a breather. And um, we don't pick the toys up most of the time during the day. But every night before we go to bed, those toys get picked up. And any parent that has ever stepped on a Lego knows what I'm talking about because when it's night and you have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you don't want to trip on anything. So that path has got to be clear. And this is what Jesus is saying. When it's nighttime, you don't, I mean, when it's daytime, you don't need to pick the toys up because you can just see them. You step over them. But when it's nighttime, if you can't see, then there's some fear, some nervousness. I'm sneaking to the bathroom. What am I going to trip over, right? If you can see, there's no reason to fear. If you can see, Jesus is saying, from God's perspective, there's nothing to be afraid of. Disciples are afraid, but Jesus is saying, hey guys, do you trust me? Now, Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, I see things differently from you. Your perspective is based on your experience. Your interpretation of reality is based on the circumstances, but mine comes from my Father. Now, we can be the same as the disciples, right? We, we don't always see things the way that God sees them. We don't always ask the Lord for you know, Him to help us or understand what's going on. We oftentimes just react. We react the way our parents reacted. We react the way that our friends growing up reacted. We react in the way that our culture reacts. We interpret things the way that people on TV interpret them. All these different people, narratives that are entering our lives are, are telling us that this is how life works and this is how we're supposed to make decisions. In our movement, we have two single women who have been living in North Africa for actually a, a pretty long time at this point. And uh, as you know, not the most stable place to be living at this point. But they are there because they have, they have felt and sensed and heard from the Lord that they are to uh, stay in that region to be a light. And they've had to flee uh, two different countries, actually, already. They're in, a, they're in a third, maybe actually a fourth at this point. Everything in our culture would say, get out of there. Come back to America where it is safe. But they're living under a different paradigm. They're listening to a different voice, and they have a different perspective. In our culture, we love to give people advice. You know, oh, hey, you should do this, or you should do that. The real advice is, hey, what is God saying to you? How is he leading you? 
How is the narrative of the Bible, the perspective that the Bible is trying to give you, how does that inform the decisions that you're making in your life? So Jesus is getting this from the Lord. And so he knows now at this point what he's supposed to do. And he gives us a little teaser. I'm going to go wake Lazarus up. Right? Belief is leading. He's saying, and he's doing, he's glad that that's happened because it's going to lead to belief. Jesus sees the greater win here. Right? Because he's communicating with the Father. And he's clear on his mission. Now, this is all great, but at this point, Jesus, what he said, is false. This sickness will not end in death, will not lead to death. That's false. Because Lazarus is dead. And the last time I checked, death is final. There's no coming back. So, you can see where Thomas is coming from here, right? He's, he's trying to, like track with Jesus, but the circumstances don't add up. And what Jesus has spoken has not come true. So Thomas has a little bit of unbelief. And now Jesus is saying this weird thing about waking him up and they're not really getting that. And so Jesus is like, Lazarus is dead guys. And you can see Thomas like, okay, Jesus, like you were wrong already. And now you want to go back there. This is a little dangerous, but we'll follow you. Even though I'm not really sure how this is going to work out, we're going to follow you. We're sticking with you, Jesus. That's where we are, isn't it? Hey, our faith is imperfect. Jesus knows that. And our perspective, right? Oftentimes we need a little, you know, prescription adjustment on our glasses. And God knows that. But the key here is when we're in a season or in a circumstance where it feels like God's word is not true, the first thing we do is we, we do not give in to following Jesus. You can hear an echo in Thomas's words of what Peter said. Jesus is like, hey, you guys going to leave too? Jesus, we got nowhere else to go. You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to turn. And that's the key for us, is to keep following Jesus. Now, Thomas is able to do that because he knows the person of Jesus. He's walked with him for, up until this point, this is right at the end of the three years, right? We're going to, right after this event, we're going into the last week of Jesus' life. He trusts in Jesus' person. He knows what Jesus is like. He's walked with him and seen this perfect track record of Jesus' faithfulness, that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that a lot of times it's really confusing and difficult, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the story, you see, oh, Jesus, you didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, the waves didn't sink the boat. Oh, silly us, right? It's because he trusts in the person of Jesus. He knows him. And so even though none of this makes sense, and it looks like Jesus is a liar, He's able to keep following him. Maybe for you it feels like God has promised things that aren't true. Jesus said, you know, he's come for your freedom. But you're still trapped by that same sin that won't let you go. Jesus says he has a plan. 
you feel like your life just hasn't moved forward. You're in a holding pattern. Jesus promises joy, but you just feel so unhappy, even though you're trying to follow Him. Can you hear Jesus' voice? He's speaking to you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Come, just follow me. Don't give up. Jesus is giving us an invitation to trust Him, His person. And He wants to give us the perspective so that we can see what is happening. We all have a Joseph story to live. We're never going to escape that. There's going to be times of suffering. Jesus promises that. But you see, Joseph always held on. God was with him. And he didn't quit and give up. That's what God is inviting us to do. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect. God knows our perspective is oftentimes skewed and constantly needs correction. There's always room for our faith to grow. Do you trust me? Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, so again, it's close. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now you've got to feel for Martha here. She's going out to meet Jesus, maybe because you know, she knows it could be potentially dangerous for Jesus to you know, see a crowd. Someone could sneak back to Jerusalem. Martha's heartbroken. She's grieving. And she's really confused, I'm sure. Because if this word had gotten back to her that Jesus said, Oh, hey, you know, Lazarus is going to be fine. He might have already been dead by the time the word got back. But there's a little window of hope there because she says, Hey, Jesus, I, I know, though, that Whatever you ask, God will do. And Martha, I'm sure, knows her Old Testament. There's at least three examples in the Old Testament of someone being raised from the dead. So maybe that's in the back of her mind. Elisha, Elijah, right? Elijah raised one person. Elisha, one slash two. One was after he was dead. Um, You can look that one up. But Martha's statement also shows some confusion, right? Because... She's referring to Jesus as, it's almost like she's looking at him as an Elijah or Elisha. Like, hey, Jesus, I just know you're the guy that, whatever you ask, God will do that. God does what you ask. I've seen you heal people, you know, you've done all kinds of cool stuff. She's missing Jesus' true identity. She doesn't see him for who he really is. So interesting that Jesus doesn't address the issue, does he? Well, he does. It's just that that's not the issue. Jesus starts talking about who he is. 
He gives her this word about Lazarus being raised, and then he directs her to who he is. So the most important thing for Martha, for in Jesus' mind, is not this, this present awful circumstance, but it's what she believes. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, just believing in who he is, releases eternal life to people. Full stop. Jesus is the answer to life's ultimate question. How do I not die? That's where we're all constantly, that's the undercurrent of our life. We're running around trying to pay our bills and work our job and make money so that we can survive and live. And, you know, enjoy life and, you know, and feel, you know, fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, I am life. It is through me, it is through me that life is possible, and not just here, but for eternity. That is incredible. You can imagine Martha sitting there, he's, she's just looking at a person. He is a person in her mind, and he is saying that I am life, and therefore I am the one that has the power to give people life who don't have it now. And it's because Jesus is the great I am. And as the rest of the book of John is going to unfold, his death and resurrection are what lead to us being forgiven so that we can be set free to live in God and to live forever. So Martha starts to understand. Huge confession in the book of John that Martha says here is that you are, what does she say? You are the son of God. The Christ, right? The chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Meaning, coming to bring restoration, life, and judgment. Martha is looking. She's staring at the life, the resurrection. She is looking into the eyes of God. And he is looking right back at her. It's an incredible moment, but what is the limiting factor again is her faith. It all is tied into what she believes. Believing is seeing. It's actually not the other way around. For us, it's our lack of faith that limits us from seeing what is really happening in the world. What is happening in the heavenly realm? What is God's perspective? We often, we want to see so that we can believe. That's what we want. We want to say, okay, God, show me a miracle. Let this happen. Then I'll trust. But we actually can't see until we first put our trust in the person of Jesus. So our problem is not the problem. Whatever the circumstances for you that is difficult, That's not the problem. The problem is our view of God. It's what we believe about God. Because our belief will enable us to see our problem from a different perspective. And when we see, then we can act in the way that God is leading us to act. Let's pick it up in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called for her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The question's still unanswered. At this point, Jesus has still not told the truth. At least it seems that way. It's really interesting here that Jesus wept. He knows he's, what's going to happen. He's already said, I go to wake Lazarus up before he's even left to go to Bethany. It's gripping enough to them. They just see, wow, look how much he loved Lazarus. He's crying. But for us, you know, they see Jesus as a man. For us, we often just look at him as God. That's remarkable as well. God cries. Jesus cries. Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. So that means that God is crying. When we hurt, God hurts. Remember, I am with you. God is with us. But his sadness is a little bit different than ours. Interesting in this passage, depending on your translation, some translations say when it refers to Mary in the crowd, it says wailing. But then when it translates Jesus, it says weeping or he wept. It's a different word in the Greek. And there's a slightly different meaning there of they're grieving, they're wailing, they're mourning. You can see them saying, why? Why did he get sick? Why did he have to die? Why did this happen? Oh, I can't believe it. Jesus is sorrowful. But he has hope. Now, I'm not saying that asking God why is wrong. It's not. Read the Psalms, right? That's half of every Psalm, right? Is why is this happening? Ah, but at some point, the psalmist lands and lands in a place of hope and confidence that God is trustworthy. So Jesus sheds tears. He's with them in their, in their sorrow. He sees their pain. It makes him sad. He, he is emotional, right? Jesus is emotional. God weeps when we wail. When, when, he is sad when we are in pain. But it's landing in the the place of trusting in God that's going to bring us through that. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Prior conversation. He's been dialoguing with the Father the whole time. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. They may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Come on! Victory! 
Jesus got angry. Praise the Lord that Jesus got angry. Now, your Bible may say deeply troubled, uh, but I think a better translation is that Jesus was angry. That's what that word means. He's angry at sin. He's angry at death. He's angry at the things that make us doubt that he is with us. He's angry at the things that, that hold us down and that make us think that he's not there. He's angry at death. He's angry at the things that make us sorrowful, that make us feel pain. And he says, not this time. Lazarus, come out. His ability to see and to listen and dialogue with the Father leads to a victory like no other. He hi- Jesus also, it's interesting, he highlights, he says this phrase about, Lord, you know, I, I say this on their behalf, because Jesus is always giving glory to the Father. He's highlighting to them, I am the one that's sent from God. I am God's son. I am completely submitted to his will. And this is what he has asked me to do. And so God honors the son right back and raises Lazarus from the dead. Now notice again what Jesus says to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, believing is seeing. Our faith activates the kingdom of God. It enables us to see what normally we cannot see in the natural realm. So Martha's faith in Jesus reveals the glory of what she just saw. Not mainly that Lazarus Lazarus was just raised from the dead, but that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Because guess what? Lazarus is still going to die. And it's faith in Jesus that is the only thing that brings us eternal life. That is the glory of God, is walking with Jesus and trusting in Him. If we believe, we will see the glory of God. Believing is seeing. Trusting in the person of Jesus. He is the source of life and glory. Now, I have to throw this in there. Jesus, somewhere else, says that anything is possible if you believe. Even raising someone from the dead. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He's still alive. Right now, he is alive. Resurrection is possible. I can't think of anything in our world that would be feel more like completely overwhelming or in, impossible than someone that's died. Four and a half years ago at World Mandate, the first time I went, we had a speaker. His name was, was Jim Yost. He was a worker in a, in a Muslim country for a long time, and he ministered in a very remote region. He went to this little village and uh, just with his family, little kids, and uh, was starting to just try to get to know this tribe, learn the language, and, you know, tell them about Jesus. Made no progress. Until one day, the community lived along a river. He was further into kind of the jungle area. And um, he heard a death whale come up from the community that was right alongside the river. So he started running. It took him 20 minutes to get there. Apparently a family had been coming from the river. Their little boy had fallen into the, the muddy water. They couldn't find him. They're looking for him, searching. Finally, they find him. They pull him out of the water. He's, he's, he's dead. He's purple at this point. His wife, who was a nurse, had already been like trying to resuscitate him for that 20 minutes when he was running back to the village. He's gone. And then the Lord 
put it on his heart to say, God, where are you right now? And the Lord just sent him to start praying over this little boy. And all of a sudden, water starts spouting like a stream out of his mouth, and the kid comes back to life. And guess what happened? Jesus was glorified. And people put their faith in Jesus. His faith in Jesus is what enabled him to see what was happening in that moment. To see a different, a different outcome in that story. One of resurrection. So that means that right now you are two degrees removed from someone that has raised someone from the dead. If you don't believe it, maybe you can meet him someday. It's hard to believe. But Jesus did it. And guess what? If you believe he's still alive, then that can still happen. Anything is possible if you believe. Believing is seeing. It opens your eyes. Uh, Faith, in Hebrews it says, is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Our aim is assurance and conviction in what? In the person of Jesus. That he is life. That everything is held together by him. Every, Every breath that we take is grace from Jesus. The further we are in believing that, the more we will see what is really happening in this world and not give in just to believing our circumstances. Okay, last verse, 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done. See, seeing is not believing. Jesus says somewhere else. There's another story about a man named Lazarus, different Lazarus. But in the story, Jesus says, hey, even if we send someone back from the dead, if they haven't believed the law and the prophets, they won't still believe. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Faith comes first. The test of the level of our faith, where we're at, is obedience to what God is doing. And obviously, there's always room for us to grow in our faith. There's always the next step of getting closer to the faith that Jesus had in his Father. So, how do we get more faith? How do we get to a place where, yeah, Jesus, I want to believe because I want to see what's really going on in my circumstance. I want to see what you see when you see the whole, the whole layout of my life before you. I want to I have your vision. How do I get more faith if believing is seeing? Well, do what Thomas did. Refuse to quit. Jesus, my faith is not perfect. I can't see what's happening. I'm doubting that your word is true, but I will continue to follow you. Do what Mary and Martha did. Two times they just went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, help. Help. I don't understand. Help. We need to ask Jesus for faith. He can give it to us as a gift. But we have to keep coming back to him. Get to know the person of Jesus. Because that's what enabled Thomas to not give up. Right? Read the Bible. Think about Jesus. Talk to him during the day. The more you know this living person, Jesus, the easier it is to see the perspective. Because your faith is greater. You know what? And recognize 
It is so important to recognize and just refuse the lies that the devil continues to just jab. As soon as that instant comes where it's like, God said this, and this is my experience. Look at that. God's a liar. That's the devil's trap. We have to learn to refuse those lies. Believing is seeing. Believing in Jesus, the life, leads to seeing the glory of God in our lives and in the lives of other people. Jesus said, hey, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Our trust is in Jesus, the person, the source of all life. Believing is seeing. Let's have the band come back up. And we're going to, uh, as they're doing that, we're going to watch a little clip. Uh, as this is playing, I want you to think through, hey, where is the sticking point for you? Where does it feel like you can't see God's plan? Ask the Lord to speak to you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to watch this. So believing is seeing. What is it that God is speaking to you with this? Father, you're good. We refuse the lie that you're not. We refuse the lie in the name of Jesus that you're not with us. We refuse the lie that you don't have a plan. We just reject those and we receive the truth. Give us faith to see what is really happening. And let us put our trust in the fact that in, in Jesus, the person of Jesus. Father, I ask you to speak to us now.